What if all you needed to get better in every way was available at the touch of a hand or the sound of a voice or even a vibration? Let's talk about how that happens, who can do it, and where to find them. I'm John Webster, and this is The Hesitant Healer. Good morning and welcome to The Hesitant Healer. I'm John Webster, and I'm here with Lisa Kay or Lisa Montano. Hey, how's it going? She's my faithful sidekick in healing. We're going to talk about healing today. Uh, she just informed me that she has a really good definition of healing. Go. So, to heal is to make sound or whole, to make well again, to restore to health. So, there you go. Uh, what I want to talk about today is modalities and uh, some of the modalities that I use, some of the modalities that I have used, and a little brief explanation of both, and then we're going to end with the future and uh, what I think is coming on the horizon here. Uh, back in the day... Uh, I've mentioned several times now, I'm a, I'm an alcoholic. My name is John. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, I was going to meetings, and uh, I kind of ventured into Al-Anon, which is a sister program of Alcoholics Anonymous for people who are in love with family members uh, in close proximity to alcoholics, and it's the... Uh, Brief history, uh, Bill Wilson was the guy that uh, is a co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous. His wife, Lois, founded Al-Anon because, uh, well, she was married to an asshole for a long time and she needed a program herself. So, Al-Anon is that sister program. Anyway, once upon a time, I was in an Al-Anon meeting and I met a woman who, at the time, looked to me like a bright, shining, blue-eyed star. She had an energy about her way before I knew anything about energies. And uh, when I listened to her speak, it was like I was drawn to her as a moth to a flame. And uh, when she talked, she sparkled. And her name was Joanne Levine. She's a local here. She is a Reiki practitioner. She lives uh, up in the hills here of Redlands. I would hope to have her on here one day so she can speak for herself about what she does. Uh, and if you've ever been to Redlands, California and been up on Sunset, she's got an amazing house with a garden that once you walk into it, you just want to sit down and commune with the butterflies. It's amazing. So, uh, I talked to her a little bit afterwards and like, who are you? What do you do? What is this thing? And because she called herself a healer, which I thought was pretty brash, but she looked like one as far as what I thought a healer should look like. And uh, she says, I do a thing called Reiki. And I had never heard of Reiki before. And like I said, this is probably about 18 years ago, maybe even 19 years ago. And uh, basically she said, why don't you come in and get a treatment? and see for yourself. This was really kind of ground zero of my healing journey. This was really profound as far as timing and where my life was at the time. And I had gotten to a point where I'm like, maybe the hippies are right. <laughs> so, let's go see what this stuff is all about. So, uh, went up to her house, laid on the table, and I told myself, I'm not going to believe in this. I'm not going to not believe in this. And I laid on the table and let her do her thing. So, Reiki is, by term, a hands-off healing modality where your hands are, are a little bit above the surface of the skin or the body, and you pass energy between you. And I'll get into that more in a minute. She put her hands down 
uh, above my eyes. She had some uh, some kind of smell on her. It may have been rose or lavender. Uh, there was some music in the background, which was kind of East Indian sitar music. And uh, and I was thinking in my head, woo-woo, right? Some woo-woo. And uh, I don't know what this is doing, and I really don't... <clears throat> and I woke up an hour later and went... Whoa, mind blown. What just happened? How'd you do that? Oh my goodness. What the, how the, hey, the ho there, right? And uh, I became interested. She says, I could teach you. And uh, I put some money down and I started learning about Reiki. So, Reiki, in a nutshell, has a history uh, from Japan. I'm not going to go into the whole origin story, but there was a guy who saw a vision and went up on the mountain and was given these things. Stop me if you've heard these stories before, right? But he was a guru who released this energy out into the world so other people could do it. And there comes some symbology with the energy that you're passing, and it goes through you once you've received these uh, anointments of knowledge and you can then pass it through these symbols to this person and it relaxes them there's a lot of divine numerology energy there's a lot of divine signage there's a lot of divine stuff anyway i liked it enough that i was interested and i eventually because there were three separate parts i eventually paid for and went to all the classes to become a Reiki master, which was the first thing I did. Again, 20 years ago, right? My mother, may she rest in peace, was a devout Catholic woman and a bit hysterical at times about other things that were not Catholic. And when she found out I was doing Reiki, she freaked out because Reiki was, you know, quote, unquote, of the devil. So, while I wanted to dismiss that, I also have to pay attention to it because if that's how the general public looks at this, I need to pay attention to what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. And at the time, it turns out Reiki became pretty popular with the masses. And interestingly enough, my folks ran with a couple of other couples within the Catholic community, and I found out that several of those couples had gone to Reiki classes and they'd been doing that as a healing method in some of those circles. And uh, this is over the course of a couple of years, maybe five or six, several churches, different denominations, took Reiki up as healing modalities in church circles. And then something went horribly wrong. Uh, church doctrine started getting involved, the higher ups of different churches started getting involved, and they decided that this was not of their particular churchy ilk well it didn't fit their theology oh lisa's got better words you know lisa used to be a theology major she did yes tell me a little bit about that for a second we're gonna sidebar here where'd you, you go to school for what did i go to school for i went to school to become a pastor uh, of a church I've, so she I, knows all I right felt she knows led to do that so uh, here's another piece of my story. Once upon a time for just one year only, <laughs> at the age of 14, I went to a seminary and was in a seminary to become a priest 
for one year only. How'd that work out? Well, that summer, the uh, seminary closed down, so we will never know. <laughs> and I'm not telling you the rest of that story. <laughs> All right, so it did not fit the theology of the churches that were doing it, and they banned it pretty much church-wide in a lot of different places. Uh, about that time, also, I was going through massage school, and uh, the massage school I went to was loosely affiliated with Loma Linda, which is a church-based hospital organization of the uh, Seventh-day Adventist type. And uh, there was a, a, a girl in my class whose father was an elder in the church, and I had her father... Uh, I asked her to ask her father if she would uh, ask him to check that out and see what he said. And he wrote me a paper basically that said, this is not our th theology. We don't believe this comes from Christ. This is not the way we choose to do business. And so, therefore, uh, don't do it. You're not allowed, right? And that kind of happened across the boards with a lot of different organizations that had to do with Reiki. In my own practice, because I had started doing Reiki as an energy healing with people, um, I kind of saw the same thing. There were there were hit and misses of people who were like, I don't want you to do that to me because they didn't understand it. And there weren't a whole lot of books and there was not a whole lot of scientific knowledge that had to do with Reiki that I could explain to people that made it mainstream. It was still woo-woo and it was too mystical. And uh, anybody that was of any kind of faith-based organization that really believed in that faith-based organization uh, was a little put off by it and did not want to do it. I ended up putting Reiki in my back pocket, and I don't use it as a modality anymore. It is still around, uh, and occasionally I have the need to go up and see Joanne and have it done to me, and it still works perfectly. Um, I like what it does for me. It's a centering, and it's one of the things that I have in my toolbox that I use for me. I don't necessarily, if ever, use it on any of my clients or, or my client base. Uh, I kind of take the, uh, the line of it's in me. I have it in me, kind of like being Catholic, right? I, I'm a recovering Catholic, but <laughs> I still understand Catholicism, and I can still stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with doctrine and and belief systems. It's just not one that I practice on a regular basis. So, that's kind of Reiki in a nutshell. But uh, I, if you've never tried it, give it a whirl, right? It's, it's one of those things that you might like it. Another one of the ones that I found along the way, and this was about the time, if you heard the last episode, this is about the time my Lisa was going through her cancer treatment. Uh, I had bumped into a class called Healing Touch. Healing Touch had the the processes of multi-use, which was there is an emotion which matches an organ, which matches uh, an endocrine, I think is what it was. There was a triangle that had to do with it, and each one of them had something to do with it. But that it was the first time I had ever heard that organs had... Uh, the possibility of an emotional response system. And that I was intrigued by. So I went and learned it. It had to do with touching different parts of the body and uh, tapping into uh, the organs and the emotion that had to do with the organ, and you could kind of heal a lot. The primary testing response mechanism for this is muscle testing. And uh, if you've never seen muscle testing, it's a thing you want to look up. But basically, you have a person hold their arm out and give a super negative response 
and their arm goes down if you put any kind of pressure on it. Have them hold it up and give a super positive response. Love, love, love. And you can't put that arm down. You can almost stand on it, right? And then have them do the negative response and it goes down. And there's a long history of muscle testing and a lot of people believe in it and work with it to hear another person's bodily response. You can also do it to yourself. Uh, there are some controversial uh, things that go with it as well, like there is a predisposition of response that you've already put in motion before you ever ask the question. Therefore, it's not entirely true. So it's one of those things that I do not use. I have seen it. I do believe the people that do it believe in it. Uh, it, it it's just a thing that doesn't necessarily work for me. And in Healing Touch... It's how you get to where you're going to find the emotional responses or the energetic responses or the uh, organ responses of the healing that needs to be done for that particular person. Uh, I will tell you, we met a guy who was really, really big on it in this time frame, and Lisa started going to him. He also had a... Um, I've seen this before and I don't quite understand it, but it's a same, along the same lines as if you're getting a, uh, an immuno response to allergies and they have all these little bottles of different kind of things from bee pollen to Ajax to asparagus to grass to whatever. And they kind of put this in you to see if you're allergic to it. Except in, in Healing Touch, what this guy was doing was he would take this particular thing and do muscle testing on it. And if you were allergic to it, that's the thing he'd tell you you were allergic to. We bought into this guy pretty hard. And uh, at one point, this guy declared that she was cancer-free. And we put a lot of hope into that. And, and we were like, oh my God, thank you so much. And uh, it was in one of those time frames that I discussed last time that was the in-between, the I don't know land. And when you're, you're, you're trying to fight a life-taking disease and somebody declares, a healer declares that you are cancer-free, um, that can do a lot of psychological damage if it turns out it's not true, which it did. So we go back and that's when things had gotten a little bit worse and uh, we motherfucked this guy pretty hard. And when we went to talk to him about it, he had kind of disappeared. Hmm. Interesting side note, two months later in my AA meeting that I went to that was attached to a behavioral health center here in town, he showed up one morning as a very newcomer uh, on lithium. Um, not really happy about that. But it also kind of, it's a, it's a piece of piece of a historical story in my in my toolbox of you can't always believe what you see and not everybody knows what they're doing and even if they do know what they're doing you could be wrong right i uh i learned somewhere along the line too when you're talking about healing and when you're talking about god's graces when you're talking about how things are supposed to happen in life that Sometimes somebody is not supposed to be healed. Sometimes people are supposed to die. Well, Sometimes we, people are supposed to stay sick or they can keep themselves sick. Lisa? I was going to say 
we all die eventually of something. Yeah, hey, newsflash, folks. Nobody gets out of this thing alive, right? 100% of the people who try my product are going to die, right? That's how this thing works. So, but, I mean, in the, in the world of healing, I, I, I can't believe myself to be the guru who 100% is going to make you all better because that's not the way things work. People die. I, I, I used to work for the coroner, and, and in the coroner's office, one of the things I did was property. That is taking things off of people who die that is on their body, and you have to uh, catalog that. You have to m make sure you, you treat it like evidence, basically, and then you uh, ship it off to the next of kin or whoever comes and picks it up. Um, Hey, let me tell you, if you've ever seen Mike Rowe and his dirty jobs, this is one of those dirty jobs. Because if they've been laying on that wallet and they've decomposed, it gets kind of stanky, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a whole other thing that goes with like money that's been tainted. You have to send it to the Treasury Department. It's it, Death is interesting. In fact, we're going to have a whole podcast on death someday. Let me tell you. Anyway, so why was I talking about that, Lisa? Because I said we're all going to die. We're all going to die. But then I had another point had to do with property. and Healing Oh, touch. oh, oh. In the property department, uh, one of the other things you get to do is read suicide letters. And some of them are lengthy. And, and when you're doing investigations into death uh, and you get to see the life that these people were living or not living, you get to see... A chronic pain at an unbearable level. You get to see severe depression at its worst. You get to see homelessness and living in the elements. You start to understand that some of these people really are better off dead, mm. right? I mean, it's not a life. If you're not living life, is it a life? That's a good question. And a lot of times I, I see on the Facebook post, you know, thoughts and prayers, or we see Oh, if you just, you know, if you just trust X, insert your deity of choice here. And if you just pray, it's going to get better. That is not always the case. I do believe it helps. I do think it makes a difference. But let me tell you, sometimes it doesn't, and that's just the way it is. Anyway... I digress. That's the end of Healing Touch, right? That was the end of Healing Touch. I put that book away. I haven't opened it since. I know it's a thing that's out there. I know it's a thing that people use. I had a bad experience, right? Um, from there, I found visceral manipulation, okay? And visceral manipulation was uh, founded by a guy, a French guy, a French doctor named Jean-Pierre Barral, right? And the story as I remember it, and if you are practitioners out there, I'm probably going to butcher this thing because I will admit I have not done my official homework in reading the story, but this is the way I tell it, and feel free to tell me I'm wrong. But he was a doctor who was working on people, and he used to do um, trips up into the hills and the mountains and the regions of France where there weren't doctors, and he'd go work on people, and he'd come back sometime later, and they'd be all better, and he'd be like, what did you do? And there were shamans up there, and there were old-school, old-world healers up there, which globally are everywhere. Mexico's got them. India's got them. Europe has them. China has them. We kind of have them. I don't know about Canada. I'm not sure anybody gets healed in Canada. I'll have to ask my sister, who is a Canadian. 
Well, they have a public health system in Canada, so they don't need shamans. Oh, yeah, public health. All right, there it is. Socialized medicine. Right. Well, they don't need healers. Okay, so uh, he would came back, or actually what he did was find the shamans and start asking them questions and learning these things. And if you're interested in Baral and visceral manipulation, look it up, get the books, Go to the classes, which you can go to through the Upledger Institute. We're going to talk about that in a second. But this guy would find these healing methods of touch, mostly, and he would not publish anything until he did, I think the number is 300 people that were healed 100%. And only after that did he publish the work that he was doing per modality. And then he turned it into a teaching method that works quite well. Uh, I found this through my friend Reva, who is Joanne's best friend. So Joanne turned me on to Reva Bloom, who's a local here in Redlands and uh, the Beaumont area of Southern California. She's been around forever. She is one of my primary teachers. I am a descendant and a, a disciple of Reva. Reva... Uh, talked me into going to see uh, this Brawl Visceral Manipulation 1 class, and it uh, it changed a lot of stuff for me. Because as a massage therapist, we don't do organs, right? As a massage therapist, uh, we may have gone over it, but it wasn't a thing that we could do anything about in massage school. And what I found out, or at least what I heard almost first off in this class is, you got a liver, and everybody go ahead and take your left hand and poke your left nipple, and then take your right hand and poke the lower right portion of your ribs where they bend back around to the side, right? That is your liver, right? It's triangle, it's about five pounds, it's a gigantic organ, it processes 20,000 gallons of blood a day. It processes all your heart blood, right? And it cleans a lot of stuff out, right? Alcohol as well. We can abuse the shit out of our liver, let me tell you. And I heard in this class that if you're in a car accident with a seatbelt on, right? Strapped over the left shoulder to the right hip and across the hip to the left hip and then locked in, to the bottom of your car and you hit something or something hits you and you are jolted forward I'd never thought of this before everything on the inside of that protective rib cage is sloshed and if you hit hard enough that five pound liver is now a five pound soft gooey projectile that processes 20,000 gallons of blood up against an immovable rib cage or the rib cage breaks, right? But it's holding and slammed and sloshed up against like a like a gooey water balloon the inside of your rib cage. Now there's ligaments that hold that thing in. It doesn't just hang in there. It's attached to shit, right? Your liver has three ligaments that are attached, and if you stretch those, it's going to behave just like an overstretched ligament. Nobody checks for that stuff. Right? If you're not bleeding internally, nobody's checking your liver ligaments in a car accident or a fall. But it's there. If you sprain your ankle, you know you feel it because you're putting some kind of pressure on it all the time. You don't put a whole lot of pressure on your liver. It just sits there in state, right? 
and it doesn't necessarily hurt unless it's damaged pretty bad. Yeah? So, if you learn to feel the movement of a liver, and in uh, Baral's classes, the premise is that all of our organs move in a three-dimensional space at a three-dimensional rate. They have a movement, kids. They move in directions that mirror gestational migration. That is what little zygote you was doing when little zygote you turned into... An embryo. Thank you. In an embryo. And from an embryo into... A fetus. A fetus. Thank you. And then where life begins. And we're not going to discuss that because it's a whole other thing. But your, your stuff is moving, right? Your, your cells are, are separating at an enormous rate, dividing and growing. And you're growing little bitty hearts. And you're growing little bitty livers. And you're growing a central nervous system and a brain and bone and tissue and skin. And all of that stuff is moving as it grows and becomes a little bit of you. And so, the whole premise of Brawl's movements of the organs is that they constantly and continue to move the way that they were moving when we were growing, right? So, if, like a sprained ankle, your liver gets sprained, it's not moving at the three-dimensional rate that it's supposed to be moving, and in these classes, they teach you to feel that. Or feel the absence of it, right? And if it's not moving correctly, then it's not processing 20,000 gallons of blood a day properly either. And so, there's different parts of you that are not working at 100% that you have never been trained to feel in the first place. You may know you feel bad, but you don't know why, right? That five-pound liver, right? Go back up to the nipple on the left and the, and the ribs on the right, and then Put your hands against the ribs and just think about how many different things are in between your ribs there. Heart, lung, liver, spleen, esophagus, stomach, lower intestine. Uh, gallbladder. Gallbladder, that little bitty bastard. And all of the things that go in between there. And it's all moving. And it's all processing. And it's all turning to shit. And it's all making you breathe. All of that stuff is in there, right? And all of that stuff just got slammed up against the ribs, and now all that stuff's not working right. Visceral manipulation helps to put those things back in order. Visceral manipulation helps processing organs process better. Now, here's another part, because it turns out we're going to see a theme here. There's also emotional responses in every one of those organs, where we heard this before, right? So now I hear this again and I'm like, oh, I learned that way back in Healing Touch. So tell me more about this, right? This guy says, and again, it was one of those nominal things where I went, ping! He goes, if you have somebody that's heartbroken, check the liver. I'm like, what? He goes, well, yeah, if you're processing 20,000 gallons of broken-hearted blood through a, an organ, there's probably going to be some issues there. And I'm like right? Mind blown. Holy crap. That makes so much sense to me, right? So, here's what happened. Uh, I had a client that I went to on a regular basis. He was, uh, he was kind of my whale, right? This guy, uh, I worked on him and his wife and his brothers and, and their wives and his clients and friends and, and um, they did me right for a long time. 
until I got too big to be able to drive to their house. But they were they were very good friends and very good clients, and uh, very intelligent folk, uh, doctors, right? But this guy had two brothers, right? And one of his brothers was his CFO, and the other brother was a federal agent. Okay, and they were two different psyches, right? And I, I knew them well. So right after this class and right after that information about the processing of blood into a liver and what the liver can move like, and I'd learned the, the movements of, I got the chance to work on family members who were all a little bit different that I knew well, right? The first one, the regular one that I worked on, his liver was fine. There was nothing wrong with him, right? The other one, he lived in Texas, but he came out to California to visit uh, occasionally, and, and I was working on him, and his liver didn't move. And I'm like, ooh, ooh, right? I'm always skeptical when I find that stuff, but I'm like, okay, this doesn't feel normal. I'm not going to say anything to this guy because he's not a woo-woo guy, right? So I just keep working on his liver. And it's ju it's just like a rock, man. I mean, it just it just wasn't moving right. And uh, and I say to him, you know, how's things? What's going on? And he's goes, you know, everything's okay, whatnot. And I'm like, can I ask you a question? I'm going to get weird on you here. He's like, of course you are. Sure, go ahead. <laughs> this guy totally devoted to his wife. In fact, he he. It's the first time I saw this, and this is this is back a few years. But they had a big Apple computer, and uh, they would FaceTime before I even knew what FaceTime was. He'd FaceTime his kids and wife. At dinner time and breakfast time, right? Which I thought was cool because they were all back in Texas. And I know he loved his wife. He, they were devoted to each other, right? So, um, I say, well, is there something going on? Right? He goes, with what? I'm like, with your wife? And I, oh, I kind of gritted my teeth. I don't want to get into your business. He goes, he stopped. Everything stopped. Why do you ask that? I'm like, well, I went to this class and it's a liver thing. And they say, if you have brokenheartedness or there's some kind of emotional response, he goes, well, that's pretty interesting. You'd say that. And I went, why? And he says, because I've been working on this, I think it was an insurance thing, been dealing with insurance companies for two days. He goes, and I've been so busy, I haven't talked to my wife in two days. And I'm like, <gasps> no, no, that can't be true. I'm like, oh my God, there might be something to this, right? He gets off the table, the next brother comes in. This brother is a federal agent. If you know anything about this type of personnel, these people are closed-minded, closed-mouthed, tight-lipped. They're not going to give you a whole lot of information. This particular guy was in charge of uh, all drug trafficking kind of stuff in Hawaii. So, I mean, he had a, he had a pretty heavy-duty job, right? And... Uh, because I worked in law enforcement at the time, we got along pretty well, too. And he was pretty candid with me. And uh, I go to work on him, and I get down to his liver, and I swear to God, this thing was a fossil. It was black and dark and hard and not moving. And I'm like, wow, what's this? And it wasn't, intuition told me it wasn't work, right? It, it was probably something else. And I knew he was married. Uh, I knew he, he was in Hawaii, right? He had just moved there from uh, up north, California. And uh, I finally had to ask him, you know, what's going on? How's things? How's your wife? He goes, well, he says, we separated. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, she didn't want to move to Hawaii. So uh, she stayed back home and I stayed there and we're going to get a divorce. Nice. This guy's heartbroken. And his liver said it. His liver told me before I ever knew. I can't pick that kind of shit up with my intuition, but the organs knew and my touch knew and I was in with this visceral manipulation. Since then, I have found old heart attacks. I have felt spleens that are out of order. Uh, livers are certainly a thing. 
Uh, alcoholism is certainly a thing. Stomachs, lower intestines. Let me tell you, there's an entire world. In fact, there's books written about the second brain of the gut that uh, if you are any kind of healer that does manual manipulation and you have not discovered uh, visceral manipulation yet, I highly recommend you look up Jean-Pierre Barral or the Baral Institute, or the Upledger Institute, because it will change your touch, and it will change your students and people's lives. Lisa. So, for at least these first things that you've been talking about, they all have several things in common, but one of the things is they all kind of involve energy. Am I right? That's a good point. They do involve energy. Uh, I have a toy, and boy, I wish I was on video right now. This toy is a ping pong ball, and this ping pong ball has a light in the middle of it, and it has two pieces of metal on either end of it, and it is a, a closed conduit conductor, right? So if I put my thumb on one piece of metal and then put my thumb on the other piece of metal, hang on, hang on. Talk, Lisa. So uh, it's going to show us about energy exchange, all right, so if I put if I put either finger on either one of these things, it makes a noise. That's the noise. Sounds kind of Star Trek-y, doesn't it? <laughs> so here's the cool thing about it. If I put one finger on one end, and I have 30 people in a room, and we all touch fingers in a circle, and the last person puts their finger on the uh, ball, it makes a noise. If person number 10 takes their finger off, it stops making noise. Right, And what it does is show how we're connected energetically, how we have not just vibrational tones, but energetic tones, electrical tones that can set off uh, electrical conduits. And, and that's the energy we speak of when we talk about energy. And there, there will be an entire different podcast on energy healing when we, when we get into it and this kind of stuff. But yes, Lisa, it, it all involves energy and, and touches energy, right? If you're touching somebody... That's the energy you're talking about. From visceral manipulation, I went into cranial sacral. Uh, I had previously found a guy who was an offshoot of the Upledger Institute who um, had branched off and started his own thing. And I found that through a group that did uh, different kind of teachings at different kind of areas. I think he was a one-day class in Vegas, and then he could sign up for more of his stuff. And uh, I followed him through about four or five classes of craniosacral type of education. The issue was there were questions that he couldn't answer. And I'd ask a question, and I'd get an answer to like, well, you know, we kind of, and I'm like, I need more information. So when I went to this visceral class, I liked the way they presented it so much that I decided to try Upledger's uh, craniosacral therapy classes. And right away, I was rewarded with a lot of uh, physical, technological, verbal cues that taught me the science behind craniosacral therapy. And in a nutshell, um, the, the, the founder of this institution, Dr. John Upledger, uh, how he documented quite well how he got to this point and what he did. If you look it up, you're going to find uh, websites for both how it's crazy bullshit and doesn't work and how there's unbelievable stories. 
I like to put things to the test, and I found it that it works for me, and that the the principles that I was taught held true. So I believe in it, and I use it almost every day. I, I love craniosacral therapy. The principle of craniosacral therapy, in a nutshell, is that your brain produces cerebral spinal fluid at a rate of eight to twelve times a minute. So if you think about a breathing balloon, super slow, right? So you're breathing. <sighs> And the heartbeat's going boom, 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 boom. This thing has only just started to open while my heart is beating and while my breath is beating. So it's a long, slow, open filling of a container that is your brain, right? Your brain sits in a closed hydraulic black vault in this juice. And once it fills up, it goes down your spinal cord too. This is a hydraulic mechanism within your body. It's closed. And so nothing gets in, nothing gets out, kind of. Once it fills and reaches its terminal state, it finds its way through different membranes, the arachnoid membrane and other membranes in your skull, and then it repeats itself. So the premise is, let's say you get hit in the head with a baseball, and you got a little bit of a dent there, and the the damage of the vibration and the concussion that went through the skin, through the muscle, through the skull, through the pia matter and dura matter and arachnoid matter, and all the different membranes all the way into the brain, there's some kind of mark there. The vibration and the concussion cause some damage. Usually that tissue will adhese itself to protect itself. So you got a thing, right? Causes headaches. Causes lots of things. So imagine that's a water balloon. Go ahead and hold your hands up. Put the water balloon between your hand. Squeeze the water balloon on the right-hand side with four fingers and feel how it bulges over to the left side of the balloon. Now, gently and enveloping with the left hand, apply five grams, about the weight of a nickel, of pressure equilaterally into that balloon with the intention of squeezing those membranes back into the place that they belong without the adhesions. That's kind of craniosacral therapy in a nutshell. And you can do that globally and in the entire body. And uh, I would imagine we will do an entire podcast just on cranio. But if you're interested in looking into that, you want the Upledger Institute, U-P-L-E-D-G-E-R, Upledger. They're in uh, Florida. And uh, book a class. They got all kinds of great deals if you book with them. And I would highly recommend, if you are interested in them, get the uh, deal where you can buy four at one time and just pay it off a little bit at a time. It's, uh, uh, it took me four years to do that, and it was worth it. 100 bucks a month is all they take out. Uh, we're going to skate through the next three or four and be done with this, but uh, EMDR is Eye Movement Desensitization Reprocessing. This was discovered by a woman who... Eventually used it on PTSD war vets, Vietnam war vets. And the basic principle of EMDR is that your brain can't handle two traumas or two physical things at once. So it works on your eyes moving left and right and left and right and left and right. 
or tappets where you put some kind of vibrating tappet on your body that goes left and right and left and right and left and right or visual cues with a uh, a light bar that goes left and right and left and right and left and right or sound where you put on headphones and you get two different to- tones of left and right and left and right and left and right you can use different frequencies you can use different vibrations and then basically while that's on you go to therapy right and you talk about it and so the emotional traumatic response mechanism that keeps you from talking about that or causes you to cry every time you do it or uh sets your heart palpating and your gut hurting kind of turns off because it's already working on this other thing and you're able to talk through some of these traumatic events And by doing so, each time you do that, they do it over and over again, it lessens. And by lessening that response mechanism, you no longer are stuck or caught in the traumatic loop of having to fear the thing that caused the trauma in the first place. That's EMDR in a nutshell. You can usually find that through a therapist. There are not a lot of therapists that do it. Uh, a different technique that's an offshoot of that is called EFT or emotional freedom technique. And that is where you are tapping yourself, basically. Same principle, same premise. Uh, probably a little bit cheaper to go to. I have known people where both of those things, uh, it works. What else do I have on my paper here? Myofascial release. Myofascial release works on the fascial system, the layering of the fascia where we have lots of different pretty much everything in your body is is wrapped in some form of fascia or the extracellular matrix right our our muscles are wrapped in a bag of fascia our veins are wrapped with fascia our nerves are wrapped with fascia our veins and nerves which run together are wrapped in fascia around fascia that's around the muscles that's around the bones where everything's wrapped up and uh, in fact, if you've ever been to the body worlds, the bodies in motion, where they have the uh, bodies that are uh, plasticized, uh, this just last couple of years, uh, a great number of friends of mine went and produced one that is just a fascial reconstruct and will probably be uh, viewed globally here in the next couple of years that uh, is called Freya. Uh, F-R with uh, uh, E-I-A, but there's like a, a colon in the middle of it. And it, uh, it's an umlaut. It's, an umlaut. it's German. Um, look that up. But myofascial release is pretty much long, slow traction of the fascial system. And then uh, I'm real big on talk therapy. And the next thing that we will probably be discussing here in the next couple of weeks is uh, what's happening with psychedelics and therapy and boy oh boy is that a new horizon that's coming up and really starting to take hold and i'm really interested in learning a lot about this Uh, i'm just going to leave that as a cliffhanger because it's some pretty amazing stuff but the big four right is ketamine mdma or molly uh, ayahuasca and magic mushrooms or psilocybin And those three things are starting to work their way not only into cognitive talk therapy, but also touch therapy. And we'll talk a little bit about that in the the weeks to come. Oh my goodness, I have talked for a whole 45 minutes already, and I'm going to let you guys go now. I appreciate you listening. Lisa, thanks for hanging out with me while I blah, blah, blah for another hour. Of course. And uh, 
as always, like, subscribe, and tell all your friends. And if you have something you want to talk about or you want to hear about that you're interested in, go ahead and get on the website or Facebook. We're looking at putting up an Instagram page here in the next couple of days. And, uh, and shoot me a line and let's talk about some stuff and talk about some healing and tell me what you want to hear about. I am John Webster. I'm the Hesitant Healer. And I wish you a wonderful day.